Okay, so this is the second one on our series on John's Gospel, and, uh, and today we're thinking about more hope. More hope. Who can lead us into a greater hope? Boris Johnson, perhaps? Uh, it's been interesting seeing Boris Johnson in the last few weeks. Um, every time he's come out of one of his COBRA meetings, anyone else love the fact that we've got a meeting called a COBRA meeting? I just, that kind of makes you feel, COBRA meeting. I just kind of want to be there. I just want to kind of know what they were talking about and just in the room. But Boris Johnson comes out and, and he is kind of like, he's, he's a politician. So what does he do? He's flanked by two other people, by, by the chief medical officer on one side and the chief scientific officer on the other side. And you hear him say these words that you very rarely hear him say, I defer to them. I defer to them. Why is he deferring to them? Because they are the experts. Because he is, he is prepared to be led by people who have a greater expertise in this field. He recognizes that he's not equipped to lead people in the decisions that they need to be made. He needs to be led by others. And so, I, I, I don't know about you, but I, I listen to them and, and you kind of think, well, Lord, I just pray that they know what they're doing. <laughs> you know, we pray, don't we? We pray that they know what they're doing, but God, we know they're just men. They're just, they're just people. So they can only do so much. They're probably they're doing their best, I'm sure. But uh, whenever we think about leading people into a greater hope, we want to make sure we're following the right person, don't we? We want to know that the person that we're, who's leading us, who, who we're listening to, the advice that we're taking is, is good advice. That it is advice from people who know what they're talking about, who know the situation, who know people, who know us. Otherwise, we're, we're not going to have that confidence to do what they say. And so we need to be led into a, a greater hope, a hope that things are going to be better. But then also we need, to be, we need to be led by people who are going to help bring out the best in us. One of, the, one of the challenges about times like this is that it brings out both the best and the worst in people, doesn't it? Um, I, I don't know about you, but there was a, I've had heard, overheard lots of conversations about toilet rolls this week. And, uh, <clears throat> and so there's been two kinds of people. There's been the people that have gone and bought loads of toilet rolls. And, have, and have kind of like, just, I'm just packing in. There's a guy on the news wasn't there that's just like filled a whole room. We're not going to be caught out like everybody else. You know, that's, that was his mentality. And, she, and then you've got the kind of the rest of us. And, and we've kind of like, we've gone about our normal shopping. And we've come to buy toilet rolls. And we've thought, well, I actually do need toilet rolls. <laughs> um, but what are people going to think of me now? And it comes to do I buy less toilet rolls than I would normally just to show that I'm not panic buying like them? And you look down the aisle and people are like, look at them there. Look how many they've got. They've got five packets. You don't need five packets. This person's got ten packets. And then there's you with your kind of like, you're just, you're kind of, you know, your normal amount. And in the back of your mind you're thinking, I should probably just get a few more, you know. And so the battles that go on in our minds, and so it kind of brings out the worst in us sometimes. It's kind of this judging, comparing, anxious thoughts. And and some people have gone out well overboard. But then you then you see the best being brought out in people as well, don't you? It's really encouraging to hear that um, there were doctors from China that that went over, that travelled over to Italy to help them with the crisis that they've just been through, experts in their field, and they brought 31 tons of medical aid with them, including respiratory machines, tens of thousands of masks, and uh, hospital equipment through the Italian Red Cross. 
And hand sanitizer was there as well. Lots of <laughs> all sorts of things. And so, very encouraging. And what's interesting is that most of those places were from uh, from a town that was hit by an earthquake in 2008. And Italian doctors had gone over to help them all that time ago. And now they were responding by going back and helping. Isn't it wonderful when you get to see those glimpses of humanity at its best? Wouldn't it be great if we were like that all the time? How can we become the people that God has made us to be? We see these glimpses of, 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 of beauty and greatness and humanity. But then we also see the, the wrestling, the tension with self-centeredness. The, when we get fearful, what do we do? We go into the self-preservation mode. We look after ourselves. And, and that instinct is in all of us. It's in all of us. Who will lead us to a better kind of hope that is more, not so much about getting through a crisis, but being better people? Who will lead us? Who is qualified? Well, I think you know the answer to that question. Jesus wants to lead us into a life, a life that is a real and eternal life, more and better than we ever dreamed. That is not so much that all our dreams come true, but that he changes our dreams and shows us what we should be dreaming for in the first place. Not a perfect life, but a life that brings hope for humanity. And this morning I just want to just think about a couple of reasons why Jesus is the one that can lead us into that kind of better life. He can lead us to be, be the human beings that we were made to be. To bring out the best in us. To cause us to, to not just live with hope of, oh I hope I do the things I'm meant to as I'm told to. Or as they're enforced upon me. But hope to actually be the people that we deep down inside want to be, long to be, were made to be. More human, not less human. So this is what John chapter 1 verse 14 says. We're just going to look at this one verse today. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh. One of the reasons why Jesus is qualified to lead us and to give us hope and to lead us through into a better kind of life is because he is one of us. He is one of us. Have you ever heard someone say to you when you've been trying to encourage them, you just don't know what I'm going through? Have you ever said that to somebody? You don't understand. You you don't know what it's like. You don't know what it's like to be me. You don't know what it's like to go through the struggles I've been through. Last week we were reminded that Jesus is eternally and personally and fully God. He came that we would know him. But what kind of relationship is that? Is is God, does God really understand? Does God really know? Uh, Do we say to God, well you don't really get it God. You're, You're up there and I'm down here. You're God and I'm not. But this is what it says. The word, that is the revelation of God, Jesus, became flesh. He became flesh. The word flesh is, is in Greek is the word sarx, and it means the full humanity, all of our frailty, the whole person. It wasn't simply that Jesus decided that he was going to put on a, 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 a man suit. 
You know, he didn't kind of like suit up and say, right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just become, like, pretend. You know, sometimes you see those gags where someone dresses up uh, as, as somebody else and they kind of like, they walk around in their shoes and feel their life. But underneath, it's just, they're just, they're just who they are. It's just, a, it's just an appearance. Jesus didn't just appear as a man. Jesus didn't just come, just kind of like put on the makeup. He didn't just put on the suit. He didn't put on the skin. Jesus became a man, a human being. God the Son. He didn't stop being God, but he became something that he wasn't before. He became human. He was born. And he grew. And he lived. He knows what it's like because he is one of us. The comedian Steve Martin, they're the doctors for you. Uh, Steve Martin said this, before you criticize a man, walk a mile in his shoes. That way, when you do criticize him, you'll be a mile away and have his shoes. Um, I quite like that. <laughs> but we, we do kind of, we do want to know that someone understands. Jesus doesn't criticize us, but he really did literally walk in our shoes. He really does understand what it's like. He was born. He experienced being completely dependent on another. That's a strange thing to get in your head, isn't it? That the creator of the universe came as a baby, humbled himself to be small and dependent. He knows what it's like to feel helpless, even though he didn't stop being God somehow. And this is the mystery He became a human and experienced those things. He grew in knowledge. He had to learn. He had to work. He got hungry. He got tired and fatigued. He was born into poverty, lived under oppression, lost a parent, had friends um, who who betrayed him, had brothers and sisters that didn't get him. He had a blue-collar job as a carpenter. He probably got splinters under his nails and banged his his thumb with with a hammer. He knew what it was like to grieve. He wept at the side of, G- of Lazarus' tomb. He faced misunderstanding and personal attacks. He experienced deep physical pain and emotional pain. On the cross, he was separated from his heavenly Father. For the first time in all eternity, he experienced complete and utter rejection and loneliness and isolation. Jesus understands what it's like to be human. He gets it. He knows you more than you could possibly imagine. There is no person on this world that can say that Jesus doesn't understand. There is no person in the world that Jesus can't say to, I know how you feel. I know how you feel. He has experienced the full breadth of human existence. The word became flesh. What does that mean? It means that he... He is a faithful friend. He gets you completely, but he's a faithful guide as well. He can lead you through life's ups and downs. And when we look at his life, we look at his life and he lived the life we should have lived. And because he was one of us, he's saying, look, this, you can live this way too. Just, just follow me and trust me. I've come to be the first in a long line of people who are going to live differently. People who are going to live with God. People who are going to live holy lives. Because I, I wasn't born in Yorkshire, I will always have this accent. 
I know that there are some people that will always see me as an incomer. I was chatting to someone the other day who was actually like, they moved here when they were five years old and they were still treated like an incomer in their school when they were growing up. I know that there are, some, there are going to be some ways that, that, that I'm going to feel like an outsider some, at some points with some people. But, but Jesus truly is one of us. You know, when you, when you kind of, you find someone that you just really relate to personally, and what do people say? What's the greatest compliment? Oh, he's, he's one of us. She's one of us. She, they're ours. We know them. They like us. They get us. They're, they're not from down there. They're not distant. They're not uncaring. They're not from a politician that has got the grassroots of the, of the northeast of England and wasn't brought up in London. People will say, they're one of us. And it will be a compliment. And what they're saying is, they understand us. Jesus understands each one of us. There's not a thing that you, cannot, you can say to Jesus to say, you don't get it, God. He gets it. The Word became flesh. But it says this as well. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Jesus is actually with us. One of the terms that's become... Common currency in the last, uh, last few weeks, we talked about last week's self-isolation, that Jesus doesn't, that God doesn't self-isolate, he self-reveals. But the other thing is social distancing. Uh, that's a phrase. These phrases that we hear banded around, social distancing, what does it mean? Well, it's the idea that in order to guard against the spread of a virus, that we, some distance is required, standing at a distance of two meters apart or not having contact with each other. Because we know that if we get too close, we're running the risk of catching something. Okay? Better keep your distance. And that is what a lot of people think that God has done. That he's kept his distance. That he's watching from a distance. There's even a song, isn't it? You know, from a distance, God is watching us. This is a picture of kind of like, here's our world. And God is just outside it. And he's kind of like waving down. And he might let you know he's there. But he's, but he's not involved. But that is not true. The word became flesh, just like us. And made his dwelling among us. Made his dwelling among us. Dwelling literally means tabernacled. Now tabernacle in the Old Testament, hundreds of years before Jesus was born, God made a way to be present with his people. Because remember, this is why God made us. He made us that we might be in relationship with him. And so he found a way to be in relationship with people. Even though we're sinful, even though we've turned away from God, he still wants to bridge that gap. And so the way he started was saying, well, I'm going to come and I'm going to tabernacle among you. Or it used to be called before that a tent of meeting. And the tent of meeting was like a, an ad hoc tent that was on the outskirts of the, of the camp. And Moses would go to the tent of meeting and the cloud would come down and cover the entrance, just showing a sign of God's presence. But then... The next step was that the tent of meeting moved into the becoming a tabernacle, a bit more of a complex tent, if you like, which had more stuff going on in it. And that wasn't on the outskirts of the camp. It was right in the middle of the camp, at the center. And God is always moving from the outskirts into the center. He's always moving from, from a fringe experience to saying, let's come in the middle. He wants to be right in the middle. And that tabernacle, we know, became, it was moved to become a temple, and so the presence of God dwelt in a temple. And so the idea is that when it uses the word tabernacle, it is saying that God presenced himself, tabernacled, dwelt, stayed with us. Exodus 29 says this, when they're setting up the tent of meeting, I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar 
and will consecrate Aaron and his sons to serve me as priests. Then I will dwell among the Israelites and will be their God. See, God draws near to us that we might draw near to him. He came and provided a way in the Old Testament to just be in the midst of them so that they would know that God is truly among them. Literally, God set up a meet and greet for you and me, that we would meet him, that we would know him. And he's been doing it from the beginning. See, every man-made religion is, trying to climb, is about trying to climb our way up to God, scoring religious air miles. You can pretty much go anywhere these days on air miles. There's all these, all these play destinations where, you know, the, the kind of rock-bottom prices. But religion is basically a, a, a way of saying, if I do this, I'll get closer to God. If I do this, God will be pleased with me. If I do this, he might approve. If I do this, I might earn his blessing. And some people misunderstand Christianity to be this way. I was talking to somebody not that long ago, Christian, and I, and, I, and I asked him the question, if you were to meet God and he was to ask you, why should I let you into heaven, what would you say? And his answer was, well, I've earned it. How have you earned it? Well, I've been to church every week. I kid you not, this is the exact words. I've been to church every week for the last five years. That should count for something. Oh, and I don't sin. Now, what is he saying? He's saying... There's a transaction that's going on in his thinking. If I do this, God should do this. That's religion. That is me trying to get closer to God by my own efforts. But we know that it is by, it's with faith that we're saved. By grace alone, it is a gift of God. See, this tabernacling among us, Jesus coming is showing us one thing. It is not that we can get to God by trying to reach him but that God has come to us. That is the difference. Do we go to him or does he come to us? Well, we might think that, well, if I do all of these things and if I'm a good Christian and if I work hard and I tick the boxes and I do my, even, I might even read my Bible, I might even say my prayers, I might even help people across the road, I might even do the things that kind of, this is what I was taught to do in Sunday school. And we might look at other people and think, well, I'm up on a mountain and they're down here. But the stars are just as out of reach for both of us. And God is the maker of the stars. It doesn't matter how high we might think we are to other people or closer to God because of the things we've done or haven't done. Jesus came to us. He came to everyone. He came and walked in this world. He tabernacled among us. The truth is that each one of us have sinned. We've all, in effect, we all deserve to be quarantined. We all deserve, because our sins have separated us from God, our sin is basically saying, me first. And it's separated us from God to the point that even if we tried really, really hard, we can't cross that bridge, it's just too far. What did God do? He came, he dwelt among us. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Do you know that God just, he just wants to be near you. He wants you to know him personally. He is not distant. He's one of us. He's with us. But thirdly, he is glorious. 
He's absolutely glorious. Let's, com- let's read this continually. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. We have seen His glory, is what He says. We have seen His glory. You see, when, when they were in the tabernacle and they had the, the, the tent of meeting and they had all of the kind of like the, the paraphernalia and all the things that were set up in order to, to make God's presence kind of it be acceptable for God to come, God's presence came and when he came it was called his glory or his Shekinah glory. Now the Shekinah glory was basically his, his resting, residing glory. It, was, it is all of his goodness being visible, making visible the invisible And this is the key distinctive of God's people. And years later, when the tabernacle was turned into a temple, they were, they were kind of, um, uh, they were setting up the temple and they were praying. And it says that when Solomon had finished praying, this is what it says in 2 Chronicles 7, when Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and filled the sacrifices and took, and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. This is what happens when the glory of the Lord comes. The priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. They couldn't even get in. Such was his glory, such was his goodness, such was his his majesty, such was his greatness, such was the sense that this is a holy God. And when we see the glory, it says we have seen his glory. When we see his glory, we are suddenly aware of our need for a savior. We're suddenly aware of our sinfulness. We, we, like Isaiah says, he sees the Lord and he says, woe to me, I'm a man of unclean lips. When, when Jesus is in the boat with Peter and he, he preaches and he, he does this miraculous work and they see his glory, what does Peter do? Away from me. I'm a sinful man. When we see his glory, we see who we are. And we see who he is. And this is why Jesus came. That his presence would truly be seen. Jesus didn't stand at a distance. And he didn't just kind of throw down a book and say, guys, you work it out. And he, and he didn't just kind of shout instructions. And he didn't just come and show himself to be better than everybody else by being completely different. He came and he, the word was made flesh. He identified with us. And by the way, he's still, he's still flesh. He's still human. He was raised with a human body, just a, a different kind of body. He didn't throw it away afterwards as if to say, oh, I'm glad I got that out of the way. He, he is the firstborn of many sons and daughters to be like him. That's an amazing thing just to think about and reflect on. And so this word became flesh. He made his dwelling among us that he might be near us. God coming to us. Not us trying to get to God. God coming to us. All we have to do is accept him. And the glory is what we have seen is of who he truly is. You know, I was saying about how we do see in these times of of difficulty the best coming out in people. And one of the, one of the ways we've seen that is in a doctor, the doctor who discovered the coronavirus, the, known as the whistleblower of, of this coronavirus, a Chinese doctor, uh, Li Wenlang, uh, probably got that wrong, but, uh, um, he was the guy that basically blew the cover. All these people were getting sick and, uh, and, and it was being suppressed. And he was the one that, that said, no, there's something going on here. He wasn't prepared to just let it lie. He wasn't prepared to just leave, leave, the, leave the lie alone. He exposed it. And, the, and when he exposed it, everybody else was able to benefit from that information. 
But as he exposed it, and as he ministered there and treated people, well, he got ill as well, didn't he? And we know that he actually later died. And in a similar way, Jesus came, and he walks in the world and he says, I'm not going to let this lie. I'm not going to just leave it as it is. Because there's stuff that's wrong here, and I'm going to show you what's wrong. And I'm going to teach you what's right. And I'm going to live differently. And I'm going to give you signs that God has come to you. And so he blows the cover. And he, he raises people from the dead. And he heals the sick. And he points out the hypocrite and says, stop doing what you're doing. And he says, turn to me, repent and believe the kingdom of God is at hand. He, he refuses to let it lie. But then his true glory is seen in the fact that not only did he expose the sin, but he actually took it upon himself. Because on that cross, he was, in a sense, deeply infected by it. He took it all. It wasn't his. It was the only perfect, sinless human being that's ever lived. And yet on the cross, he took everybody's. And it was as if what he did was saying, I'm going, to have, I'm going to have yours, you're free. I'm going to have yours, you're free. I'm going to have yours. And he took upon himself the quarantine we all deserve. He took upon himself the consequences of all of our actions of sinfulness. And on the cross, he paid for each one of them. And when he talks about the cross, he calls it being glorified. That is where we see his glory. That is where we see his goodness. That is where we see his power. That is where we see who he truly is. Jesus came to show us not just who God is, but to to make it possible for us to live differently, to show us who we can be, to give us hope that we don't have to be held back To give us hope that we can live a life with God that is transformed and changed. Reaching out across the lines of quarantine. And he did that for us so that we can do it for others. One of the things I think we need to think a lot about is what is it that God wants us to do personally in response to what's going on in the world today? Do Do we just batter down the hatches? Do we just kind of like pull up the drawbridge? Do we just retreat to ourselves? Or do we do what Jesus did? What did Jesus do? He stepped over the lines of quarantine. I would suggest you literally do that. But there's ways of reaching out beyond the boundaries of isolation. There's ways of reaching out and, and coming with a different spirit. Uh, and not, not a spirit that just says, do I, have, do I have everything I might need for the next five weeks? But says, do you have enough for today? The, the, the stepping across the line that everybody's fear keeps us apart from each other and, and knocks on the door of that elderly neighbor or that vulnerable person stands at a distance and just says, hey, does, do you need anything from the shops? Jesus crossed over the line. He came and he identified with us and he showed us another way and he showed us his glory. And each one of us, as Jesus is leading us and changing us and transforming us, as we keep trusting in him, he is manifesting his glory through us. He wants you to be someone who manifests his glory, who makes the invisible visible. If you know Jesus today, you can reflect on what he has done for you. And some of this you will already know. We know Jesus became flesh. We heard it at Christmas. Thank you, Mark. But do you know that he actually he wants you to do the same for others? He wants you to identify with them. 
Sometimes we have our own barriers that we put in place. Our own quarantines, our own levels of safety, our own distances that we inflict on, our, on other people that might be a little bit hard work or a little bit, it's a bit risky or a little bit challenging. And the example of Jesus and the work of Jesus is that he has already done for you what you need. Now he asks you, can you do for others what he's done for you? Can you reach out and not pointing to yourself, but pointing to him? There's a great picture of, of Jesus in Revelation that just says he, he's, he's walking among the churches. You get the seven churches in Revelation. and it says He's walking among us. He is still manifesting his glory. He is still with us by his spirit. He is still in our midst. And because he is still in our midst, it is still possible for people to meet him today. And so I just want to encourage you, if you're not a Christian here, and you just feel like actually quarantine is something you, it's not just something that might happen to you in the future because of some virus. It's actually what you feel in your whole life. You feel quarantined. You feel separated perhaps from other people, perhaps certainly from God. And what I need you to know today is that God has broken through that quarantine. And he has, he has mopped up all of the things that got in the way, carried them on himself, and like that doctor who blew, it, blew the cover on this whole virus and died himself, Jesus has done that for us. He's done that for you. And the amazing thing of all of this is that because God came to us he just wants to be welcomed and received. It's not about us trying to do our best to, to, to work out a way to get to him. He's, he just wants to get to you. So will you allow him to do that? And we're just going to pray together. And I just want to encourage you to, to just close your eyes. And I want you to consider what God has done for you. Have you ever said to God, you don't understand, you don't get it? He does. He does more than you even know. Have you ever said to God, God, I, I, you're here, but you don't really make any difference? Well, he wants to show you his glory. Because when you see his glory, his goodness, his kindness to you, it will change you from the inside out. And if you're someone here today that you just know that you feel very, very challenged and threatened let me remind you that, that Jesus has already done for you everything that needs to be done. You are secure. You are loved. You're safe in his hands. And that means you can reach out to other people because he's got you. You need not be fearful. So what can you do this week? to cross the boundaries of quarantine, to reach out to people and show them some humanity, to show them Jesus and his love. What is it that God's asking you to do? Perhaps knock on the door of someone, perhaps send a text, perhaps make a phone call. Why don't you just ask God to show you this week how you can reach out across that divide so that you can be present with people. And show them Jesus' glory. Heavenly Father, I pray that for each one of us, Lord, that we would know an assurance that you are with us, that you love us, that you have, you've not left us, that you are good and 
You have shown us your glory, and you've, you've, the lengths you have gone to to come into this world just blow our mind. And the ways that you can identify with us because you are human and divine, human and God, fully God and fully man. And so, Lord, we thank you, Lord, that, that you have done this for us. We thank you, Lord, that you continue to be with us. And I pray for each one of us that you'd help us to reach out to others in the same way that you've reached out to us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to... um...